We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. The Super Bowl is set. Who are the top free agents that will make a fantasy impact in 2019? We're talking all that and more and playing a quick game of Would You Rather on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? I'm Dave Cabin, Senior Fantasy Analyst at Rotoviz. This is Rotoviz Radio. I'm joined tonight by Matthew Friedman, editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network. Uh, I was feeling a little under the weather, so we took last week off, but we're back now, Matt, and we have a lot of awesome content to talk about tonight, I have to assume. Yeah, it was a great weekend, especially if you are into losing money. Um, so <laughs> just absolutely fantastic for me. Um, the Chiefs under uh, was looking really good for you know the first three quarters. And then they scored, was it like 38 points combined in the fourth quarter? And then of course, uh, more points in overtime. So uh, absolutely brutal beat there. But uh, yeah, a fun week of, uh, of football. So that's, uh, that's the most important thing. Two really exciting games. Yeah, for sure. So I actually uh, went with the Patriots uh, 
and the points. So it was actually a great day for me. Oh. That was the only the only action that I had. In- oh, well, yeah, and and your team won. So you you just you really hit it out of the park there. Yeah. So. Um, a couple of things. One, if you hear me shivering, that's because I'm in my basement. We're in the negative temperatures uh, right now <laughs> at Myos. What's the temperature for you? What's the weather like in Iowa? Uh, it's in the uh, it's in the single digits. Yeah, it'll it'll get to the it'll get to the negatives tonight. Wow. Yeah, it, it's freezing all over, uh, which was supposed to be a pretty big storyline. At least it's one of the things they were talking about heading into the Patriots Chiefs game. Um, but I don't really think that was much of a factor. Um, yeah. The other thing I was going to say was so there uh, are a number of family related things uh, like different family members have. Like my niece has a birthday in February. My brother and my parents are going on vacation. As a result, my daughter, who was born on the 16th of February, her birthday party, the only time my wife could schedule was on Super Bowl Sunday, uh, which, you know, isn't ideal. There's actually I've had people asking me if I okayed that. My father-in-law, who's going to be going to the game now, is not going to be going to the party. So my wife was in some respects actually actively rooting against the Patriots yesterday. Wow. That's – um. That's grounds not for like separation, but for just like, I I don't want to see you for the next five minutes. (laughs) Yeah. And and so the worst part is I – as I have to imagine, you probably are similar, do not want to be watching this game really with anybody. So everybody needs to understand if they're coming to this birthday party, they have to be out of the house well before – we're approaching kickoff. Okay, so this is actually interesting. Do you like watching games like Super Bowls or high stakes games like with other people there or do you want to be in your little hole? There's I would say about maybe three to four people that I'd be willing to watch a game with that I would actually enjoy it. It's got to be somebody that doesn't need to throw out too many opinions, especially talking about, you know, like what a stupid play a player made or like, why did they not do this? Why did they not do that? Because I'm like, all right, got to establish the run. Oh gosh. Like most of the times you have no idea. Like it really, yeah. really bothers me too. When people complain about like quarterbacks being idiots and stuff. Cause I'm like, you have no idea what the design of the play was, what the defense, you know what I mean? Stuff like that. So I like somebody that need, they need to have some level of of knowing what's going on and they can't be like, you know, too into making comments. Like I just want to watch the game. Yeah. It's been forever since I've watched uh, a Cowboys game that mattered around other Cowboys fans. So I, I kind of don't really even know anymore, you know, like how I would be in that situation. Um, But when it comes to like just Super Bowls or other other games where I have like nothing kind of emotionally invested, I don't really mind watching with other people. In fact, sometimes I think it's kind of funny uh, just to, to hear like what other people say, you know, like you, you, I mean, I feel like on Twitter, we get enough of a sense of the general perspective out there, but you get like a real like boots on the ground sense of how people watch football and think about football when you're watching just a random game with a group of people you don't know. Yeah, actually, that that's true. Um, and I hadn't thought about I hadn't really because I guess I haven't been in that position. I've kept myself away from that for such a long time now. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, or especially like when you know that a team is making like an expected EV play by doing something that the average football fan would think is like stupid. And they're telling you how stupid it is. And then if the announcers agree with them, they're like, see, I told you. And it's like, well, most of the time the announcers are idiots, too. So, yeah, like uh, like uh, kicking the field goal instead of going for it on fourth and one when you're, you know, 
like two yards away from the end zone, something like that. Yeah, certainly. So having said that, uh, let's let's just go through these games. Um, I want to get your your take on them. So uh, the Rams Saints game, I guess. Just to for for starters here, right? Uh, let's just get the pass interference or the non-pass interference call out of the way. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing there's nothing to say. I mean, you know, they. <laughs> I mean, the Saints got boned. You know, I mean, it's just it was a horrible situation. Um, they probably would have won the game if not for that. I mean, you you can't say for sure they would have, um, but they probably would have. Um, yeah, just it's a horrible situation. I don't know if you saw on Twitter, uh, Darren Ravel of the Action Network. Uh, has posted saying that there are sports bettors who are literally considering suing the league because of bets that they lost because of that blown call, which is like, okay, good luck with that. But um, I mean, that that might be the most obvious uh, bad, impactful call in postseason history. Um. Like I, can't I, think th- of- I don't know. Well, I guess I'm thinking back to maybe not postseason history, right? Because there was probably a lot of really crap things that happened in the past before there was any replay. Um, you know that you probably wouldn't have any memory of. Because- yeah, yeah, but I mean, like, but like old people, even old. I mean, like I say, old people. I mean, like I don't. Bill Simmons, you know, like I mean, he's older than us, but like other people who are also older, like that was the worst I can remember in a high leverage moment in a high leverage game, you know, like that, it was, it was so blatantly bad. Anyone could see that it was bad. No matter where, no matter what your angle was, you didn't need to see a replay of it to know immediately that it was bad. Uh, It could have been pass interference. Even if the ref thought that the ball got there, uh, when the guy hit him, it also could have been, you know, like helmet to helmet there, you know, like it just, it, it could have been something, you know? So anyway, well, when yeah. I actually saw it develop, I was wondering if like somehow in the ref's mind, after you had such an, like an egregious interference penalty, it, it could almost made it look like the ball was uncatchable, but it was only uncatchable because he completely like just held him up. So it was yeah. like, I'd love to know like, if it was something <laughs> like know. that that went through, through his head or, or whatnot. Uh, but I guess one of the good things is this now really may give, a, give us a situation where pass interference can be reviewed, which I think makes a lot of sense. Um, I do think that we might reach a point though where we're reviewing too much or the league really needs to streamline the process. Perhaps you take away um, some element of challenges by the coaches or the yeah. rest determining if it's review and that's all done by the league in a central location. Yeah, the I mean, I, reportedly Belichick for years at owners meetings has petitioned for every play to be reviewable. Yeah, you know, which, I've heard that, too. Yeah. yeah, he was asked about that on the radio today um, that, I, uh, that I was listening to. He kind of danced around it, so he didn't really address yeah. it. But it, it has been reported that that's been something that he's always been pushing for. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, I think that the the Saints were probably I think this year they were the better team. Um, I think they didn't play as aggressively as they should have, and they settled for field goals early in the game when they should have been more aggressive. Um, and there were even times in the second half when they weren't as aggressive and, you know, they let the, the Rams get back into it. Um, and they still almost won the game, uh, you know, except for the, the pass interference call that wasn't. Um, but yeah, I think the Saints were probably the better team, but I think, you know, the Rams are good enough. Uh, and I don't think it's like, 
a tragedy that the, you know, like all things considered, the Rams are in the Super Bowl. It's not like an unworthy team is playing in that game. Not at all. And there were a couple of um, opportunities, too, that kind of stood out to me uh, where the Saints, you know, really could have put the game out of reach. One was I forget which the receiver, which receiver it was, but Breeze had somebody in the end zone actually hit him in the hands. It was kind of a high pass. I mean, very tough play to make. I think Dan Arnold. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, there was a couple of plays like that, too, that definitely could have swung it. And, and, you know, like like you said, they really could have put, uh, you know, a foot down on their chest early there and they didn't. They let them come back. And I think the other thing, too, the Rams did a good job of taking Michael Thomas out of the game. It really became a game plan where they had to rely on Alvin Kamara very, very heavily. Uh, And I think in games like that, sometimes you need to have a couple more outs than just one player, especially a running back that you have to get that involved in the receiving game. But I do think that this sets up for if I'm a fantasy player, I'm feeling really, really good about drafting Alvin Kamara next season and and expecting a return on my investment. I think he definitely looks like he's locked in to have a top five finish next year. Yeah, I think that's fair, Uh, especially if we don't see them do anything aggressive at the running back position in free agency or the draft. Um, I mean, the one thing that gives me a little bit of pause is like historically, Sean Payton has preferred committee backfields. So even if he thinks of Kamara as his number one guy and he wants to get him a lot of work, I still don't see Kamara being like the, the true workhorse that people would probably want him to be. I think somehow there's going to be someone who steals carries. But even then, he's still going to be really productive. Yeah, for sure. And you have to imagine, too, that Breeze comes back. I think the complexion of that team is still very similar. They'll still be very competitive. Uh, And you're going to see good things for uh, Kamara and probably that whole offense, obviously, Thomas. I also thought there was a couple of notable things, too, on the other side of the ball for the Rams. Uh, I thought Sue really showed up yesterday, which made a pretty big difference. Obviously, you have Donald. Uh, that defense is good. Aqib Tlaib, there's a lot of names there. So it's going to be a really cool matchup now because I thought that the Patriots, once we get to that game, we'll talk about that. But I thought their own line looked really good. So you're going to have a nice uh, kind of competition there between those those two lines. Any other thoughts on the Rams? Uh, maybe, you know, Jared Goff kind of stepped up to help rally their team. CJ Anderson being the back that they were going to. Todd Gurley really getting phased oh, yeah. out of the game. It was nuts. Yeah, we haven't really even talked about that. Not a, uh, a great day for the running backs matter crowd. Um, but uh, yeah, as you mentioned, Sue had a really good game. I think he's been playing kind of like it's hard to say that like under the radar, he's had a good season because he's, he's been inconsistent and he's been playing next to Aaron Donald and like anyone playing next to Donald, uh, Donald, uh, doesn't look all that good. But, um, Sue, I think has actually been pretty good throughout the year as a run blocker, sorry, as a, a run stopper. Uh, and you really saw that the past two games, first against the Cowboys and then against the Saints. Uh, both teams really like to run the ball and they couldn't get anything going against Sue and Darnold. Donald. <laughs> so uh, it was, yeah, I was impressed because up to up to this point in the season, like throughout the regular season, the Rams, I believe, were like 28th in uh, rush DVOA on defense. Like they were not good at stopping the run, um, but they've really... Uh, buckled down in that area over the past two games and a lot of it has to do with those two guys um so yeah i will be curious to see what we see in the super bowl because yeah uh the patriots 
recently have gone with a very run heavy attack. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, the combination of those two guys, you know, could be enough. And that defense, um, has some really notable splits with Aqib Talib, And I think he just, he adds like another dimension to that defense of what they're able to do when he's on the field. When he's not there, Peters is totally exposed. Uh, when Talib is there, it just, it gives everyone a little more cover. So um, yeah, as long as he's healthy, uh, it's it will be a much tougher matchup, I think, for the Patriots than it otherwise would be. Yeah. And and also, I don't know if it matters, but he does have that uh, big game experience, can bring some leadership, you know, all of that yeah, stuff that we don't know yeah. if it really matters, but maybe it does. And I think that he's one of those guys a team can kind of uh, rally around. I'm sure that younger players probably look up to him. Um, Todd Gurley, though, as we said, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting here what you see CJ Anderson doing. I think a couple of important things on this context. I think that um, the Rams are a team that is good on offense they have a line that can support a rusher uh, and I think that CJ Anderson is probably at least a better than average back I know that he kind of bounced around this season but we have seen him produce in other situations so I definitely think it helps the running back uh doesn't matter crowd but I, I do think that maybe what it gets to a little bit more than that running back doesn't matter. It's maybe that running back is more replaceable. I think there's still, uh, and you know, it still obviously helps to have a balanced attack and you need to be able to run the ball in the right situations. Uh, But we have seen now a number of times that if you have a replacement level player or a little bit better, even if your absolute superstar goes out, you probably will be able to weather the attrition of that more than you would at any other position, perhaps. Yeah. And in all fairness to uh, CJ Anderson, uh, he was a junior college superstar as a sophomore. So, you know, it's it's not as if he's coming out of nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Any other closing thoughts before we uh, move on on that? I mean, I thought that uh, it looked to me I can see how you know people might want to knock Jared Goff for the first half performance, uh, perhaps, or, you know, maybe he doesn't really look like a superstar, but I do think for a quarterback of his age, it's actually pretty impressive. He was able to take them back playing against a team like the saints and help this team advance uh, to the super bowl. And then we also have to mention that Greg Zerline kick, which is getting overlooked with the passer and all that. I mean, Oh my Lord. And Hecker, like Hecker had two of the biggest plays in the game, like the fake punt. And then also uh, fielding the bad snap to get the ball in place for Zerline to kick it. Um, so like great special teams performance all the way around for the Rams. And like that was like a real difference in this game. And one thing the uh, over the past two years, no team. Actually, let me let me. Uh, no, no, no. I, I'm, I'm screwing this up. Yeah. Over the past two years, uh, the Rams have more field goals more field goal attempts and more field goals than any other team in the league. Um, and part of that is because they, uh, you know, they, they play with a quick pace and their offense is generally good enough to move the ball down the field to where even if they don't score touchdowns, they're fine taking the points. But, uh, you know, for all of his innovations, McVeigh is pretty conservative. And we saw that when it comes to settling for field goals, like he's, he's very much just fine 
with letting Zerline go out there and, uh, and, and take the points because like he feels very confident in his kicker making those kicks. And, and it's fair. Zerline historically has made those kicks. And this was like the biggest moment. Like, uh, I, I mean, one, one of the few bets I had that did make money was, uh, Rams field goals over one and a half, like just smash the over on that. Um, you know, and, and so like, I think, um, even if this game isn't all that close, like we're probably going to see like a, a, at least two Zerline field goals, you know, like probably closer to three. Another thing to note there, too, is that um, also they probably would have had even more kicks because didn't Zerline actually get hurt at the end of last season? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So at the, at the end of last season and in the middle of this season, he missed some games. That's right. So. Yeah, but I mean, it definitely speaks to um, how good. I mean, he's really been awesome. He was he was on a record pace at the end of last year. Like he would have broken Justin Tucker's record. Yeah. So it was uh, pretty incredible. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think that there's a lot of things that you can point to of why the Rams definitely can hang in a game with the Patriots and, and probably be more competitive than people might think. Uh, granted, we'll have to kind of digest uh you know once people move off of talking about these games just kind of previewing to see what the general perception is yeah so the patriots chiefs what a game that was definitely took some years off of my life but man mahomes i think is the first thing i want to focus on here he made some absolutely tremendous plays showed tremendous poise he's only 23 i have to imagine like i, I well I'm trying to think of something to compare him to, but uh, I, I'm struggling to find like a good comparison I mean, of a player that's been this uh, just good in every facet of the game this early. Yeah, Marino. I mean, you know, Marino in 84, I think, set the records for passing and, uh, you know, did it as a, you know, sort of like gunslinger type of quarterback. Um, I mean, it's just it's so impressive with what we've seen out of Mahomes. I'm I mean, this sounds weird. I'm almost a little scared that there's going to be I mean, there has to be some regression. But like, what if this is as good as it will ever be for Mahomes? Like, I know that sounds almost like sacrilegious to say that, because like, I hope like he just has an awesome career. And this is just sort of like the beginning of, you know, like a legendary run that he has. But part of me is like, this this cannot sustain you know like there's there's no way that uh defenses don't catch up in some way um you know what what happens when Tyree Kill starts to slow down or he gets injured or Kelsey starts to slow down uh you know whatever it is or or like the offensive line um i mean it, it didn't it didn't play all that great to begin with but like what happens if there are even more issues with it um you know so anyway i love mahomes um I think Andy Reid is a really undervalued coach. I hope we get to see Mahomes in a Super Bowl someday. Uh, you know, I think it would be wonderful for him, for Reid, for that franchise. Um, it's hard to say that the Chiefs were the better team because I, I don't think that they were. Um, you know, there was just something about like the battle testedness of the Patriots. Um, but yeah, I mean, Mahomes was clearly the most impressive player on the field. Yeah, I would agree with that. And it's also crazy, too, to kind of put things in context here of, of expecting some regression next year. That's not even just because he's this young player or whatever. I don't care who that was. You could attach that stat line to Brady, to Rodgers, to Breeze, and we'd be looking at it saying, all right, they probably have to come down next season. 
Yeah, just it's a statistical outlier. And like, granted, it's coming within this context of, of the game changing and Mahomes is a different type of player than what we've normally seen. Um, so it, it's very possible like what he did this year could sort of be like the new normal for a player of his caliber. Um, but yeah, I mean, you just kind of have to expect that there's going to be some regression. For sure. Uh, also, if you're the Bears, <laughs> what do you think? You know, we've seen Trubisky. He's worked out, I guess uh, I would say for them. But knowing that uh, you passed on Mahomes and Watson. It, well, no, I didn't. Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Because, yeah, it went. Uh, I think Mahomes at 13 then Watson at 14. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I think Mahomes. We, we could look this up, but I think Mahomes was 10. And I think I think Watson was 13. But yeah, I mean, they traded up from three, I believe, to two in a really stupid trade uh, just to make sure that they, you know, got their guy. And like, I think their guy is pretty clearly the worst of those three. And that's not to say that um, Trubisky can't lead a team to victory or, or can't continue to develop um, because he certainly did develop this year. Uh, but I think like everyone would clearly say they would rather have Mahomes or Watson way before they had Trubisky. Yeah, it looks like at this point, there's such a gap between Trubisky and Mahomes, it's going to be hard to to make up. I mean, I think perhaps Trubisky could, over the course of the career, catch up to Watson. And I looked it up, yeah. So um, at 10, you had Mahomes, and then Watson was at 12. And then, as you mentioned, yeah, Trubisky was at 2 um, after Chicago had moved up uh, with San Francisco. So... Uh, yeah, I mean, that one probably hurts, too. If I'm a Bears fan, I'm re- I'm really disappointed. Other thing I want to mention in this game, though, there was a lot of crazy calls. There was the Edelman Moff. We had a couple of catches. There was one with oh, Gunnigan. Yeah. As a non-Patriots fan, non-Chiefs fan, what did you think of the officiating in this game? Granted, now that <laughs> officiating has become a huge storyline after the weekend. I don't know. I just sort of expect officiating always to be like mediocre at best. Um I don't know. I mean, I think the the worst call was the roughing the passer on Brady where, where the guy like maybe grazed his helmet, but pretty much like hit his shoulder pad or, or chest. You know, uh, I thought that was really weak. Um, the, the Edelman muffed punt. Um, that was that was so hard to tell. You know, like whether it did touch him or didn't touch him. Uh, the Hogan catch, I don't really have a, a problem with. Um, I don't know. I mean, I thought it was like a mediocre job of officiating, but, you know, not like not that bad. I mean, I think the the biggest thing um, and this isn't officiating, but it's just sort of like structural to the game, like the overtime rules. I mean, that that is such a big thing, like for it to be decided basically on the flip of a coin. Um, I mean, now granted, like, you know, if the Chiefs want the ball, okay, you know, go stop Tom Brady, you know, like get the ball back for your quarterback. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it's it's clearly not equitable. So uh, I think they really need to look at revising it. I mean, they're it's I mean, they're interesting things that they could do. There are lots of different ways that they can make it equitable. Just pick one. And anything, almost anything has to be better than this. Right. Well, there were four lead changes in the fourth quarter. So then to have that game end with only one team possessing the ball yeah. in overtime just doesn't, it does not make any sense. Yeah. I, I, and from, from like a drama perspective, just imagine how great overtime would have been if you had seen like this back and forth between the two offenses. You know what I mean? It, it would have been, it's just, it's like you had these two heavyweights going at it and it's like, 
wouldn't you like to see another round of those two guys punching each other? (laughs) You know, and I say this as someone who's not really into boxing, but like it just it seemed like, you know, um, it like overtime really could have been something that was even more epic than the fourth quarter if the format were different. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean look look at it this way. Mahomes I think is clearly going to be the MVP of the season. And his season ended without him getting a final drive because of the way that the NFL has structured overtime. You know, like that's nothing to do with him or with the team. It's just that's the NFL. And like that's a really bad look. Like even like from a marketing perspective to be like, we are about to say that this is the most important guy in our league and we didn't come up with a way to highlight him in the most important moment of the season. Yeah, I completely agree. So I think that's one that will probably become a talking point. If not this offseason, I feel like this is something we'll start to see come up more and more. Because yeah. uh, there were a number two of playoff games, or not playoff games, of overtime games in the season uh, that were, uh, you know, really interesting. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's one of the things the league can do to continue to make things more fun and more interesting. Uh, I thought that the Patriots played really well, uh, as I mentioned earlier, on the offensive line and the defensive line. Yeah. Yeah. They've had good pressure all um, off or all postseason. So, I mean, I think that the defense there is pretty good, too, with that solid O-line moving the ball. This is just really making, we'll talk about this more next week, but like a very, very compelling matchup heading into the Super Bowl. The earliest yeah. the earliest line that I saw had the Patriots favored by one and a half. I saw that move up to two and a half. I'm assuming that we're probably going to see that continue to move up for the Pats. Yeah, this line actually open Rams favored by one. And it immediately, yeah, it immediately got bet to Patriots uh, favored by one. And then from there, pretty quickly continued to move. Um, but yeah, that was just, you know, uh, I, I don't know what the bookmakers were thinking, you know, because people are going to bet on the Patriots, you know, like people who don't bet that often and just kind of want to bet, oh, the Patriots in the Super Bowl, like they're just going to bet on the Patriots. They're a public team. So uh, anyway, yeah, I imagine that uh, the number, the, the amount of money that comes in will be heavily skewed to the Patriots and will continue to drive that line up. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see. I was trying to explain to somebody at uh, work today how betting lines and all of that work and uh, quickly realized it was a conversation that didn't make any sense. But we are going to talk more as we teased before in a future episode um, because it's a very complicated thing and I actually do have a lot of questions for you. We're going to do an episode at some point where we get uh, some more insight uh, into all things betting and, and getting a good sense of if you're a beginner you know, what all the different terminology means. Before we move on, one final question related to the Chiefs. Damian Williams has played really, really well. Um, If he is the back in Kansas City next year, where do you think that he should go in, in, you know, your typical redraft league? Yeah, um, he kind of scares me because I'm not sure that we can count out Spencer Ware or, you know, whoever – else they might bring in. But if we do feel very confidently that he is the guy, um, I think he's a first round pick. Really? First round? Yeah. I mean, 
Kareem Hunt, you know, like he's not quite the receiver that Kareem Hunt was, but like he's pretty good. And he's like a big guy. He's athletic. He was productive in college. Um, You know, like you can say like he didn't do much in his previous four seasons. And that kind of is true. But two things. One, he did show the ability to catch the ball out of the backfield, which is really important for backs. Uh, And then two, like he was stuck like with two, I would say, pretty incompetent uh, coaches. So like it's I I think it's kind of hard to hold against him um, what he failed to do earlier in his career. So, yeah, I think there's a lot to be excited about. Yeah. Well, as somebody that um, drafted Damian Williams and Dynasty, among a number of other players that they had to let go, I can tell you that I was a big fan of Damian Williams leaving school. And I do think that he's good enough. And we're at the point now where you kind of have to course correct because we've seen, especially in the context of the situation that he'll be in, that he can definitely produce. You're going to have that offense that you know is going to be moving the ball, that you know is going to be competitive. So opportunities should be there. And even if he's not Kareem Hunt, there's no reason that you really need to be too worried. Assuming, like you said, if he if you if he is the guy, and we know that, I think you have to slate him into that discussion. You know, like maybe he's ninety percent of the player that Hunt was. Hunt was a, a guy that you could have very realistically drafted in the first half of the first round in a running back heavy type of league last season. So I think it, you know there's definitely a conversation for him to go as a guy in the back end of the first early second round, given the talent level that he does have in conjunction with the situation that he'll be in. Uh, so I'm, I'm with you there. Obviously a lot, a lot, a lot of things that can shake out that would impact that. Uh, and if you want to, Stay abreast, if you will, of our opinion on that uh, and the site's opinion. Remember, there's still that 30% listener only discount. Rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. Get that 30% discount uh, off uh, off of an NFL pass. You're going to want it. So much content coming down the line. Pretty soon we get back into the full swing of things. Uh, We've had Jordan Hoover and other members of the team just absolutely killing it on the prospect profile. So if you need to get up to speed on the incoming rookie class, Get your jump on that now. Get that Rotoviz season long subscription with that 30. 30- this episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing rose, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy Decoy by Duckhorn. Elevate your occasion. It's the sale you've been waiting for. Now through Monday, get a huge 50% off the styles you need now with 50% off all jeans, 50% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, 50% off. Jeans start at 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids. Want fashion in a flash? Buy online and pick up in-store for free. Hurry, the sale ends Monday at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Validate 29 to 92 excludes in-store clearance, jumpsuits, rompers, bubbles, active license, and men's package tees percent listener only discount we broke down the games let's take things back into a fantasy lens matt 
So naturally, landing spot will matter, but I want to talk about some of the top free agents that are going to be changing teams, presumably, in 2019. Let's break down how we feel about them, and if we think that the odds are high that they're likely going to be in a better situation or a worse situation than they were with their previous team. The first player, and we kind of had a small funeral for him during the season, but it's Randall Cobb. There is there much left to take for Randall Cobb? And... If he does find, you know, even a decent offensive situation, I don't think that people out there should be looking at him like he's the Randall Cobb that we saw earlier in his career in Green Bay. No, yeah, I, I agree. Um, it's it's a pretty negative uh, prognosis for him, I would say. Uh, he's going to be 29 when the season starts. Um, he really hasn't looked like himself for enough years that you can basically say that this is now the version of himself that exists. You know, like the old Randall Cobb is dead and never coming back. We haven't seen that guy for like four years now. Um, so yeah, I think he, he will find a job. I think he's going to be like a low grade slot receiver. Um, the one thing I would say is that like, it's possible. I don't, I don't know. He feels like, I could see a team like the Patriots signing him or so, you know what I mean? Like, and, and like, if that happens, then maybe he has like some value, but I still think it's kind of more as like an actual player as opposed to a fantasy producer. For sure. Especially when you consider, if you look at Cobb's best season, he was finding the end zone 10, sometimes more times. And the number of teams that are out there that would be able to sign him that could support that type of player or a player like Cobb scoring that frequently is probably zero. You know, maybe there's one or two teams where it could even be a possibility, but with how he's looked and where he is in his career, I just don't think that you can expect that. And you take away that touchdown production, his profile becomes entirely different. Um, So I'm not too high on Cobb, perhaps with the perfect landing spot. A player that we've talked about a lot that we were disappointed in this season, and people were already talking about this last summer, but Tevin Coleman will be a free agent and presumably will be moving on from Atlanta. I think it's... It's obviously very landing spot dependent, but I'm not going to be too down on Coleman because of how he performed this season. I think I'll probably still be excited about him if he lands in a starting role, which I imagine he will. Yeah, um, I am kind of down on him, but it doesn't have much to do with his performance this year. Uh, I think like we're in a state in the NFL where there are enough running backs where um no team is really going to sign him, give him a big contract, bring him in and give him like the real lead back job. Like I think wherever he goes, he's going to be a committee guy. Um, so I think his upside is really capped. Okay, that's fair. You know, one of the disappointing things too, I think, is that um, it was looking like Pittsburgh would be a very realistic possibility for him. But uh, given what transpired this season, I do not think that we're going to see him get picked up by by a team like the Steelers. Um, yeah. But I still think that he's a good player, and I think the talent's there, uh, that I'm still excited about him, him, and I'm hoping he lands in a spot where, you know, he could be the type of player in the right committee where it could work, but, you know, maybe I am a little overzealous on Coleman. But remember, though, this is a guy, he does have the size, he can catch, he's very fast. Uh, so, you know, I just don't want to rule him out yet yet yeah yeah okay um moving on from coleman mark ingram who we talked a little bit about i don't know what you're expecting but i do not see him returning to uh new orleans 
I agree with that. I don't think he's going to. If he does, I think it would be on a um, very team-friendly contract. And I think basically wherever he goes, he's going to have to take a, a pretty big discount. Um, he will turn 30 in December. Um, and he really hasn't looked all that explosive. I mean, ever, but like really for, you know, like a lot of the past year. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what team is going to want him. I mean, I don't know. I could see like the Cowboys signing him to be like a backup or something, you know, like I, I he just, he sees, he seems like, um, a, a backup or a lesser version of what he's been this year. You know what I mean? And that is still not really even all that impressive. I think he can still play and in a good offense, he'll be able to produce, but there's a couple of things when I look at a guy like Ingram that make me worry. Uh, Coming out of school, 4.62, 40-yard dash, not very good. He had a very weak speed score, if I remember correctly. He's not particularly agile. The burst score isn't really, wasn't really there. I'm now pulling this up. Yeah, so, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, the profile was very weak. No, no, the athleticism was really bad. Athleticism was really, really bad. Uh, You view him as, or at least in my mind, I've always pictured him to be a pretty big guy, but he's actually 5'9", 215. So the size isn't there. The athleticism's probably deteriorating, which wasn't great to begin with that does not seem like a good recipe so it seems like the cliff is probably sooner rather than later for ingram oh yeah and uh i mean the thing is like it took him uh till his fourth season really to put something together in the nfl and since then like he's been fine um but he's never been like a a dominant type of player um and yeah like there was a really steep fall off this year and some of that was usage related but i think they were using him less one because obviously because of kamara but then two just because like ingram wasn't as explosive as he had been previously so yeah i think uh i think the end is is near for ingram like i think this is this could be his last year in the league coming up yeah that that would not be a shocker at all um golden tate going to be interesting i think that he still has a name that is going to command some attention i think he still could be a wide receiver three for sure maybe a wide receiver two in a a fantasy sense given the situation that he lands in definitely an up and down trip that he or stay in philadelphia um did you see any warning signs anything that makes you worry about tate or do you think that with the right fit he can still be the type of guy that we should be excited about yeah i'm still i'm still interested um, I've never really been all that excited by Tate, um, just like as a player. Um, but like, I think he, I don't know, like at times in his fantasy career, like over the past five years, like he's provided value, um, you know, cause there were people who just kind of didn't see him as like the number one guy, you know, it was either Marvin Jones or, you know, Eric Ebron was going to take targets away or whatever it was. People were kind of like constructing narratives uh, for a chunk of his time in Detroit as to why he wouldn't be successful. Uh, And he was successful. Um, But it's just a question of like, is he going to get the targets that he's previously gotten? Is he going to be used? Like, how is he going to be used? Or is he going to be a a very slot uh, slot focused player? Are they going to move him around the formation? Like there are just a lot of questions about Tate and it's hard for wide receivers to, um, I mean like Amari Cooper is the exception, but it's hard for wide receivers like to join a team and really 
acclimate themselves within their first season. You know, so like I, I would be a little, I don't know, pessimistic about what he could do this next year. Also considering that he's going to be 31. Definitely. I, I can I can understand that. I do think, though, that the one good thing is with the way that his game works and the way that he's played it. I think, you know, even if he is losing a half a step, perhaps he could still be OK, uh, just finding ways to get himself in the right position. And if he landed with a team like the Patriots, which probably won't happen, but I feel like he's kind of a guy like Cobb that could work there. That would be pretty exciting. Probably the most exciting name that we're going to talk about, with the exception of the one after this, uh, Le'Veon Bell. I think that regardless of where he goes, you should still be viewing him as a top 10 back. And I don't think that we're going to see the market sour on him because of the season off. Do you disagree with that? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think there might be, you know, kind of like the football people who think poorly of him for not playing or like he betrayed his team or like whatever narrative it is that they come up with. Um, So I think there might be some people who kind of knock him for that. Um, So I think he will have a a smaller market. And I think um, like with the success of uh, kind of non-premium running backs, um, especially in Pittsburgh, uh, I think there will be people who kind of view Le'Veon Bell as someone who is like not as necessary to a successful team as they maybe would think. Um, but yeah, I still think wherever he signs, he's going to be the lead guy. Um, obviously, he's a fantastic receiving back, which gives him a lot of upside, uh, a lot of security, regardless of whatever happens with game script. Um, so yeah, I think he's still a you know locked in first rounder. Um But yeah, a lot of this will be dependent on where he signs. It's really funny, too, because had he played this season and is now going to be hitting the market, people would probably be so excited about him because he very likely could have finished as the RB1, probably would have had 100 plus receptions, probably would have had, you know, like 20 total touchdowns, maybe more. You know what I mean? Like the stat line probably would have been better than Connor. Yeah. Well, I don't even know if we can say that, but the stat line, the point is he would have been Le'Veon Bell, would have put up a ridiculous stat line. Yeah, it would have been another epic Le'Veon Bell year. Yeah, like there's no reason to think it wouldn't. So it's just funny how him not playing the season is going to change that perception to some degree. And also because of how Connor did, it's going to change the perception on Bell in a way that I don't know if it should. But let's talk about his teammate, uh, a player that you hate, Matt, Antonio Brown. <laughs> I, I I do not hate Antonio Brown. Well, no, that's not uh, that's not what the people on Twitter are saying. Uh, well, okay. I stand corrected. Yeah. So it is an odd situation. I don't see any way that he ends up back in Pittsburgh. Now that you have reviewed him extensively this season, you think that he's kind of not the Antonio Brown that we saw as recently as last season. Is he going to yeah. be able to prosper regardless of where he ends up? Um, it's, it's, I don't know. So I'm of a couple of different minds. One, I think he actually will end up back in, in Pittsburgh. Um, I, you know, I think that actually happens because they will have to eat a whole bunch of money if they trade him almost as much money as if they just kept him. And I think at some point they're going to be able to talk themselves into the idea that having Antonio Brown is better than not having him, but still paying as if you have him. Um, so yeah, I think they will keep him, but, um, if they don't, even if they do, I think he's not going to be a top five wide receiver next year. Um, 
I don't know. I would say like I feel pretty strongly about that. Uh, and if it happens, then I think it's – I don't – I mean it's hard to say it's a fluke when a guy's been like as awesome as Brown has for as long as he has. But like this year, he was very inefficient. Maybe part of that was because of Roethlisberger. Like a chunk of that probably was. Um, but I think Brown wasn't quite his normal self. And I think – I think part of what happened is kind of the manifestation of that. Like, I think he was frustrated. His teammates were frustrated with him. Um, he was demanding the ball as if he were still the number one receiver in the league, but he's not putting up the numbers as if he still is. So, uh, I don't know. I, I think he's not going to have, he, how many touchdowns did he score this last year? Like 15? Like he's not going to score that many touchdowns this next year. Um, I don't think he's going to lead the league in targets this next year. Um, you know, I think we're going to continue to see uh, more passes go to Juju. Um, I think they're going – maybe they will move Brown to the slot um, and move Juju outside. Uh, I don't know if, if Brown can really handle – uh, like the deep routes anymore, but I'm just, you know, like, I think he's, I think he's going to stay, even if he stays, uh, I think that's the best situation for him, but I still don't think he's going to be a top five wide receiver. If he leaves, um, man, I don't know. Uh, you will have a team that gave up a lot to get him. So they are presumably going to be very incentivized to, uh, invest in his success. Um, but, it will be a new system. He won't have that chemistry with the quarterback. He won't have a fan base of people who have like built up loyalty to him throughout the years. Like, I don't know. I could see it being a, a, a negative situation. Yeah. I mean, I think if he's not in Pittsburgh, there's no way he finishes top five. I'm not like, regardless of how good he still could be. I think that he's just in the perfect situation in Pittsburgh, and then we do have to account for the fact that now he is an older receiver at this point. Perhaps he is a generational type of guy that won't fall off any. Um, but, you know, I do think that there's a case that you've made a, a very strong case that perhaps this is not the player we once knew. So I think, you know, a top 15 finish, I still think is there for him. I think that's very realistic. Yeah. Uh, but if you take him outside of Pittsburgh, I'm not going to feel, you know, as strongly about that statement. Uh, as I do if you take him out. But I think if he's still there, I, I, if he's there, to me, he's still a top 10 type of wide receiver. Now, it's interesting, though. I'd really love to know how much of this is is Brown just being kind of an interesting personality. Um, and An odd thing about Brown, too. I don't know. Uh, I doubt that your wife is watching many... Um, of these, I'm not really sure how to label them, but my wife did watch some episodes or watched a couple seasons Dancing with the Stars. Antonio Brown was on there. She's watching this new unmasked or masked singer show. Antonio Brown was on there. Uh, uh -huh. And in one of the, on the Dancing with the Stars series, uh, he had a couple of um, episodes where it just kind of showed perhaps a personality that could be a little bit hard to work with or like, you know, have like trouble meshing with people if they're not viewing him as like the absolute greatest thing ever. Um, yeah. Which was interesting to see. And it seems like that might be carrying into his relationship with the Steelers. Well, and like, I think part of that goes into the draft evaluation. Like, do you want a guy who like might get suspended by the team in the middle of the season? You know, like that is a real possibility. Plus, like he's the oldest of the wide receivers that people kind of think of as like potential top 10 guys. Right. Like, I think he would probably be a little more prone to suffer from an injury. 
So, yeah, I mean, I like you could easily see how Brown finishes as a top three, a top five, top eight guy. But like you could also see that like he probably has the most downside out of like all of the guys, like for a variety of reasons uh, that are like character and age related. Definitely. And also I spent um, that entire Dancing with the Stars season um Holding my breath every single time he was out there worrying about an ACL tear or something like that. I can't believe, right. I can't yeah. believe that the team actually let him do that. Well, I mean, clearly. He probably just said, I'm doing it. What? Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, before we move on to our, our final segment, any of these names interest you in a fantasy perspective? Nick Foles, Tyrod Taylor, Teddy Bridgewater, all will be free agents. No, not interesting. All right, good. We can move on. Uh, so for the 2019 season, let's do this through a redraft lens. Uh, which player um, would you rather have on your fantasy team? Let's just take price out of it. Uh, Kenyon Drake or Marlon Mack? Uh, assuming that uh, their running back situations don't change, Marlon Mack. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that um, for a number of reasons. Better quarterback, better offense. Um, I think that Mac has been pretty good. Uh, Drake did kind of improve as the season went along. But if you're looking at that overall picture, I think that there's just more um, scenarios and opportunity in which Mac comes out on top. Yeah. yeah. Um, Adam Thielen versus Stefan Diggs. Uh, probably Thielen. I think he's just going to get more targets in general. And uh yeah, I think I think Thielen. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm going to go a little bit off brand here, but I just don't know if Diggs is quite as good as we want him to be. I think he's exceptional, but I just don't think that he can cut above that ceiling. And in the structure of the Vikings team, take over Thielen. I think the role that Thielen has at this point is pretty concrete, and I don't think that you're going to see Diggs pass him. Not that Thielen's going to be quite as awesome as he was this season, because that's surely not going to happen. But I still think I'd rather have Thielen. Yeah. I mean, the one thing that gives me a little bit of pause with Thielen is that he will be 29 and that's not like ancient, but like he's, he's significantly older than Diggs. Yeah. But what about the experience? <laughs> what about the experience? Uh, that doesn't mean anything. All right. Um, Austin Hooper versus David and Joku. I think this is interesting because Hooper silently or maybe not silently actually finishes like, I, I want to say tight end six this season had a lot of really good games. Obviously he's playing with Matt Ryan in that Falcons offense, which, uh, has supported him as a decent contributor the last couple of seasons. And Joku maybe is not as explosive as we've hoped for. Although, you know, obviously you need to get the full season of Baker Mayfield. Oh, man. Um, I I really want to say Unjoku. So here's the thing. I don't know if Austin Hooper's role is going to get any bigger within that offense. And as it is now, like even if he does finish as like the number eight fantasy tight end next year, like that's not really going to excite me because I don't think there's going to be much of a difference between him at eight and whoever is there at like 12 or 14. Um, and Unjoku, I think, has so much potential. And I think Mayfield is just going to improve. And I think Kitchens, you know, with a full offseason to kind of figure out what to do with that offense. Uh, I hope that he will involve Unjoku. What gives me um, some hesitation is that uh, under Kitchens, Njoku had uh, drastically reduced target share. So, um, yeah, I don't know if 
in the Kitchens offense. Uh, and remember, like Kitchens is coming from like the Bruce Arians tree and Arians just never really featured his tight ends. So like under Kitchens, it might just be the case where Unjoku just plays a role that really isn't valued, which would be, I think, really unfortunate because I think he's I would say like to me, he's clearly the more talented of the two players, but he just might not get the uh, the opportunities. Certainly no question on the talent. Um, and and I, I would go with Njoku as well because it really comes down to I think that there's both uh, – there's potential for both to really fall on their face. Um, and if they do, I probably don't care that much because I'm really just taking my tight end here in the position where I'd be taking either of them hoping to just hit a home run. And I think that there's a much better chance that Njoku does. In that Falcons offense, there's only so far that Hooper can go. And like you alluded to, uh, Hooper versus a replacement tight end, that's not going to be that – much of a difference so I would go on the side of Njoku now this one I actually think is is fairly interesting Joe Mixon versus David Johnson um yeah that is interesting um man my my gut instinct is Mixon um but uh in part because like he's still ascending he's still a really good receiving back um, we don't really know what's going to happen with his offense. Um, uh, and David Johnson is attached to a really intriguing offensive coordinator. So that does like make me think that potentially it's Johnson. Uh, and the one thing with, uh, you know, the Texas tech offense was that like, they, they do pass a lot. Um, they don't really run the ball all that much. Uh, the running back, if if it's a good pass catching running back, can get a lot of action. So David Johnson could be someone who's really intriguing, but he's he's getting older now. I think I would still go with Mixon. Yeah, I'd like to disagree with you just so that we can have a disagreement here, but I actually was going to go with Mixon. I think it feels weird to go with the bangle in this situation, but I think that there's a equivalent kind of amount of uncertainty or team struggles that you could have on the Johnson side of the ball. And I, I do think that Mixon is a pretty good player. Uh, and it feels like there's reasons why he should become more of a fixture in his offense. Whereas Johnson to me, I really like him. I think he's a fantastic player. Uh, but there's a lot of questions on that team that I just don't have the answer to. And as weird as it feels, because there's still that, that David Johnson name carrying through from what he did early in his career, I'd rather have Mixon just because at this point I have a better uh, prognosis or prognostication of what I can expect from him. Or at least I hope that I do. I feel that I do, if that makes sense. Yeah, they're just that's that's a good question because those are just two guys with huge unknowns. I mean, that the Cardinals are... I mean, they're really bad. Um, Their offense could be absolute trash. You know, like Rosen could fail to develop. We don't know what's happening with Larry Fitzgerald. Um, I mean, who's their number two? Like Christian Kirk? I mean, yeah, I guess he's their number two guy, but like he can't really be, I don't see him as, as like a locked in number one. And then you have like Chad Williams as, as the guy after that. Um I mean, I don't really have a lot of uh, interest in Ricky Sills Jones as a tight end. Like, there's just there's not much going on there for that offense, so it could be really bad. Yeah, it could be. It could be really bad. And say what you will about Andy Dalton and in Cincinnati, but at least we've seen a number of cases now in which they've supported some players, um, and we've seen Mixon, you know, have a have a decent campaign this season. So yeah, I would go with Mixon. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, before a slew of injuries, that offense last year was actually pretty decent. Like, there was one point 
like earlier in the season where it's like, well, the Bengals, they have a shot at winning this division. You know, I mean, they have AJ Green, they have Tyler Boyd, um, they have John Ross. I mean, you know, he hasn't done much, but he's still like a weapon. Um, I mean, they they have potential there. Yeah, I I, I agree with that. Um, Although I will say we're kind of at the point now where every season I'm expecting the Bengals to really turn things around (laughs) and, you know, like have like a great season and it just does not come to fruition. Um, There's two minutes here. I'm going to ask you about a television show. Have you watched the series Vikings? No, I haven't. Um, But it looks really intriguing. It looks yeah, it looks like kind of hardcore Game of Thrones. Yeah. So I've watched the first three episodes. I've enjoyed them. I don't think it's quite as compelling uh, or well written of a story, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that it definitely seems like if you're into Game of Thrones, like a good type of um, kind of like filler for when you're waiting for more Game of Thrones. Of course, at this point, Game of Thrones is not what it was, being that the story kind of falls now into some of those maybe predictable, more Hollywood type of unrealistic type of things. And I'm worried that Vikings maybe could have some of that infiltrate into the story. But three episodes in, I'm enjoying. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to take us not on a big tangent, but I'll just say like, like the things that people complain about with Game of Thrones now, those things don't really bother me. Like, because I don't, I don't know. Like, I didn't really have super high expectations for like the literariness of Game of Thrones to begin with. So like, it just, it doesn't bother me. Like, I'm fine. Get, show me dragons. I'm, I'm fine. You know, like that's, I don't, I don't know. And, and the show is still like, I think kind of intriguing enough in terms of like what's going to happen. And, you know, like it took us forever to learn who Jon Snow was. And, you know, so like, I think there's still enough there um, to like, I don't know. The story's not great, but like, I kind of don't even care. No, I can get that. Like, I still love watching the show and I probably don't have as much of a qualm with it as most people do. And that's going off of, I feel like most people probably have not read all of the books. Um, So they shouldn't probably be as upset when you kind of lose that tone. Um, And a lot of the things that were set up when reading it being that you never really felt like there were things happening that were unrealistic or like, you know, too convenient. Um, you know, like dragons and war and dragons showing up at the exact perfect time. <laughs> yeah. And people, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know, like everybody, you know, a- a- anyone could die in the story. Like you never knew it was going to happen. Some of those things have been compromised, but I do, um, I do still really enjoy the show, but I feel like if you start off with a lot of those elements, it's hard for you to have a good show, right? Like probably what set Game of Thrones up to be such a compelling show when you first start watching it too, is you assume that Sean Bean, you know, the biggest name actor is going to stick through and then he gets killed off and, and, you know, things like that. So I, you know, maybe if you don't have that tone at the beginning of the show, it's not quite as strong, but the production value is great. It clearly has a good budget. I think the way that it's shot uh, is very well done. You can tell that um, they were trying to make it like a really solid show. So I'll have to let you know how it goes. Yeah. And with that, that is going to do it for today's episode. Once again, I'm Dave Cabin. You can follow me on Twitter at Dave Cabin FF. My co-host was Matthew Friedman, who you can follow at Matt F. The Oracle. This has been Rotoviz Radio. Please subscribe to the podcast. And according to uh, Matt on his other podcast, apparently we want you to unsubscribe and subscribe again. <laughs> So yes, do that, do that, leave us a review and be sure to tune in next week. And remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it.
Thank you for listening to RotoViz Radio. Please rate, review, and contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at RotoViz Radio and support the pod by subscribing to RotoViz at a 30% discount through the listener homepage of rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. It's the sale you've been waiting for. Now through Monday, get a huge 50% off the styles you need now with 50% off all jeans, 50% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, 50% off. Jeans start at 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids. Want fashion in a flash? Buy online and pick up in-store for free. Hurry, the sale ends Monday at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 829 to 9-2 excludes in-store clearance, jumpsuits, rompers, bubbles, active license, and men's package tees. It's the sale you've been waiting for. Now through Monday, get a huge 50% off the styles you need now with 50% off all jeans, 50% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, 50% off. Jeans start at 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids. Want fashion in a flash? Buy online and pick up in-store for free. Hurry, the sale ends Monday at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 829 to 9-2 excludes in-store clearance, jumpsuits, rompers, bubbles, active license, and men's package tees.